Now wait a goddamn minute. Barely met and already she betrays us. She and my mother would get along famously. Hey, this is uh, Jennifer Uncle from Scanline Media. And this is Colin Detmar from Scanline Media. And this is Friend Request, a podcast where we basically highlight two different relationships that we really like in specific games. Relationships that were really memorable. And we basically dissect what makes them good. Or at least yeah. interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a good point. We're definitely going to get to some ones that are not particularly good, but not this episode because I think both of these are are pretty good. Yeah. So, um, the first one that I kind of picked out here is uh, Drake and Sully from Uncharted. Basically, Sully kind of takes Drake in from a really early age, sort of. It's sort of the classic mentor story you see in things like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade or just about any other movie where there's a surrogate father-son relationship. And um, in terms of those, Victor is kind of one of the more loudmouth mentors. Like, he regularly talks about how old he's getting and how... He loves telling stories about the weird sexcapades he's went on with Nathan. It, he's went on with Drake in various foreign countries. And often actually tells them back to Drake himself. Well, he's like, yes, Ollie, I remember that. That was, that was a good time, I think, yeah. And it's this really sort of... Sully in some respects, has kind of been a problem for Drake. Like, the very first Uncharted happens because Sully is in some pretty deep depth, as he's often in, and it kind of plays with the idea of killing him off in the very first Uncharted, but it never actually goes through with it. And that's a really nice thing to see with these sorts of stories, because a lot of the time, you'll have a You'll have these mentor. You'll have the mentor figure basically killed off to give motivation, a sense of revenge for Nathan, and that goes a bit into Uncharted One. But they know not to use that ever again. So his role is somewhat diminished in two and three, kind of just hanging out with him. But in four, it really four in general just really takes the relationship between the two and intensifies it because. Instead of Drake looking out for Sully, Sully kind of looks out for Drake. Like he helps Drake lie to Elena so he can go on this quest to save his brother. But he also, he's very serious about Nate. He's very serious about Drake doing the wrong thing, essentially. Like, even Sully, who's messed up again and again, knows that what he's doing to Elena just isn't fair. And there's this nice sense that Sully really cares for the both of them and wants to do his best to make everyone in his life really happy at this stage in his life. And it's this really sweet sort of end along with the rest of the series to go from this guy who, aside from Drake, was pretty self-motivated by fame and fortune to someone who understands that 
settling down and just leaving a fulfilling life with others is more rewarding than that. Yeah, he's you know he's got he's got a few he's got a few decades on Drake, and it also seems like he's he's psychologically got a little time on on Drake as far as like you know as you say in the beginning he's he's you know he's there for the treasure and he's all about that adventure as well right but as the games go on um he's more hmm he's he's always there like he's he wants to help Drake out but there's you know there's sort of you know scenes of him being like you sure about this kid you know he seems sort of uh to to be more reticent and aware of the the foolhardy nature of of their business, and I guess I use that with some some pretty hefty quotes there, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's it's. I didn't play four, and I I would like to. Yeah, I wish I had played more of four. You say that he comes to a pretty good like a pretty good, uh, not end not ending as in death, but like a sort of an end, like conclusion for that that character. But um, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like uh, I don't know in 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 three, which is the last one that I played. It felt like at the end of that, I'm having trouble putting it into words. Um, no worries. Did did it feel like it kind of was in a free, like it was kind of stalling because a lot of three to me felt like they were looking for a direction that they weren't quite able to land on. I think in general three was was sort of a, a holding pattern for the series, but I think with Sully is the one part where I don't feel that way because Sully was barely in two, um, and so like Sully, you know, had like Sully, I think bails Drake out at the beginning of the game when he gets caught, and then like shows up at the very end for a, like to help him out a little bit, but like there's you don't get too much Drake content in in two, um, Sully content, and so or yes, excuse me. You get a lot of Drake content in all of these, yeah. um, but that that Sully relationship of him of him being like the sort of you know hesitant to help just because like he's he's always happy to help. He's just not sure that this is a thing worth helping on, um, and I feel like that dynamic is really explored really well in three, as well as the uh, the sort of the flashback sequences where you play as Nate as a kid, where you're introduced to Sully. Um, I feel like that game actually does. Uh, the best job of of developing that relationship, and that's the one thing about that game that I actually think they really nailed. I think so too. Yeah, he's you're kind of the thing that draws him out of a frankly pretty terrible relationship, and while that comes back to bite him a bit later, there's this sense that he's much happier now than he was back then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't. There is also a part in the near the end of that game where they have a like they fake Sully's death in a really stupid, annoying way. <laughs> um, and I'm not a big fan of that. Cause you said that, that they didn't, they didn't like replicate the, the, you know, your, your mentor being killed thing, but they, they totally do. They just do it in a way more cheap and like fleeting way where within half an hour, they're like, Oh no, that didn't really happen. And it's like, well, then why the fuck did you even bother? Yeah. It's, it's closer to what the actual trope in Uncharted one was where, well, the movie trope where you have some sort of book in your pocket or whatever, and oh, you thought it was dead, but not quite. But yeah, there's this there's this really nice sense of almost deterioration with Sully, not in a. It's kind of sad in a way, but 
it kind of adds a lot to his character because he, like you mentioned, he kind of is he's less sure of jumping into the fray as time goes on. And I think that's simultaneously because he cares a lot more about Drake over time. And also he knows that he only has so many trips in him himself that he can yeah. go through. Yeah. He, he essentially, though not in the same words, does Danny Glover's famous, I'm getting too old for this shit multiple times. Oh, sure. Sure. So the character relationship I brought today is between um, Morrigan and the Warden from Dragon Age Origins. Um, the Warden is sort of, in because it's a, a Bioware game, um, especially one of the earlier Bioware games, um, eh, not that early, but anyway, is a pretty amorphous character. There are a lot of things that the Warden could be, and so there are a lot of ways that this relationship can, can play out um, depending on that. But Morrigan is is always who she is. She is a witch of the wild. Basically, she is a a you know a sorceress from the woods. She um is the daughter of Flemeth, who uh is sort of like a a legendary witch of the wilds who has apparently lived for centuries and is of of incredible power. Um, and there are some pretty huge spoilers I could get into around her, but I don't know that that would actually benefit this conversation, so we won't even need to. Yeah. Um, so the spoilers we have here will just be for Dragon Age Origins, which is a pretty old game. Um, Morrigan does reappear in uh, in Dragon Age Inquisition quite significantly, but um, that's, you know, that's not in a relationship with the Warden, which is, you know, we're about the relationship. Um, there are are a lot of ways that the Warden can not survive Dragon Age Origins. So, like, of course, the character doesn't reappear later, except for in, in passing mention, because most people, well, not most people, but a lot of people, their Warden died. So, obviously, you don't bring that character back. Um, basically, uh, Morrigan, pretty early on, is recruited to the, the Warden's party because her, her mother, Flemeth, is like, why don't you, you know, like, there's a blight happening and that's bad for everybody. So why don't you go with the warden and, and fix this little problem? Um, and also sort of like, ah, oh, it's, you know, she's, she's sort of like mother henning a little bit like, right? Like, Oh, it's time for you to leave the roost anyway and go off and, you know, have an adventure get strong. Yeah, totally. Um, so for the most part, she, she plays like, um, she like, you know, this, is the, um, the dragon age setting, um, called Thetis, which is actually an acronym for the Dragon Age setting, which is awesome, <laughs> um, is a, a world in which magic is, is severely distrusted and magic users are pretty heavily regulated. Um, and she's a Witch of the Wilds. She isn't regulated at all. So she is very frequently sort of the, the voice um, sort of for, for like freedom and, you know, like um, boarding, bordering on, maybe not even bordering on, maybe fully going into anarchy, right? She's sort of like, no, like, let people do their thing. Don't try and, like, regulate how they can behave and how they can act. Um, but she's also pretty, like, sort of in, in in going with that, she's also pretty mercenary where she's not super interested in helping people out unless there's something in it for her. Um, and so in the party, she's a, she's a helpful presence just because, you know, you have you get a lot of Boy Scouts in that game, and it's nice to have someone who's just like, no, like, fucking do the smart thing. 
God damn, yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah, and aside from just self-interest, she also applies that to coaching you more or less. Like, she thinks that you're being pretty idiotic if you take a personal risk to get something done or go out of your way to do the right thing when it will waste time. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's kind of, um, in a way, she feels a bit like a reaction to um, Obsidian's work with... Uh, Kreia in in Knights of the Old Republic two, she feels like they're going that this is Bioware like they didn't make Knights of the Old Republic two and it's kind of feels like them trying to do sort of a similar thing. Um, she's a different character, but there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there. I think tonally, um, she's sort of like you know the intelligently uh, bad one, right? And you know I use I use bad sort of again in, in scare quotes because I don't think that that's Dragon Age doesn't make that a super interesting distinction, right? This isn't a game with a good evil meter. Um, yeah. There's just a concept of, of approval um, with your various party members. Um, so, for the for most part, that's that's what it ends up being. She has, you know, an antagonist, antagonistic relationship with a few members of the party. Um, but you get towards the... Uh, well, I guess two things happen. One, um, she reveals to you a- after a certain quest that she's figured out that the way Flemeth, her mother, stays alive is that she has daughters and then she possesses them. And that's, you know, then she's got a new body. And she's like, well, that's sure as shit not happening to me. Let's go kill my mother, right? <laughs> um, That super doesn't, like, you go and you fight her mother and she appears to be defeated. But, like, Morgan's like, we didn't fucking kill her. Like, I mean, it's nice to think she let us off easy there and yeah no Flemeth appears repeatedly throughout the series that was not the end of Flemeth um it's also not the end of of the conflict between Flemeth and Morrigan but that continues into games that the warden is not in so we won't get into that today um Dragon Age is a good series you should play those games um yeah like them a lot I feel like the main thing though the, the moment that's kind of interesting is um she, as you find out near the end um, of the game, that you're you're gonna go fight the archdemon, which is sort of like the 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 head of the of the darkspawn, right? Of the of the undead, or not undead, but what is the of the blight? Yeah, there it the is. Blight. They're sort of basically the the corruption that's threatening to destroy the land and, and eventually the world, I guess. Um, and if you can defeat the the archdemon. Then Darkspawn will be leaderless and scattered, and you can you can save the world. Um, and it's revealed to you that the only way that happens is if a Grey Warden deals the finishing blow, right? Um, and in, in so doing, that Grey Warden is going to die. Um, and Morrigan sort of he- hears this and is like, "That's fucking stupid." <laughs> You can do your dumb thing and go kill yourselves, I guess, if you want to be fucking idiots. Or we can have sex and I will get pregnant and because you're a Grey Warden and I'm a sorceress, my baby will take the hit. And the baby will not die because I'm a sorceress. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's the long and short of it. Yeah, essentially, the the thing that she doesn't entirely tell you is that she has her own reasons for wanting to have a baby on hand 
that she can do with what she wants. Well, the, the the thing that she really doesn't tell you is that since the archdemon is basically like a a corrupted insane god, she's trying to basically create like a, a like a a rabbit snare for the soul of a god. She's trying to get pregnant so she can catch a god's soul. <laughs> um which she, you know, depending exactly on how things play out, she can succeed in that. That can be what happens. Um, but the, like, I mean, I chose with, with my, I've played through Dragon Age Origins, uh, a a good number of times. Um, but with my first playthrough and the one I, I sort of personally hold as canon, I chose to reject her. Um, and sort of like, no, like you're a fucking creepy sorceress and your offer sounds really weird and suspicious. (laughs) And I'm just going to take care of this. Right. And basically like. There are obviously complications if you accept her deal, but her deal is actually on the level. Um, And I feel like it's a pretty good example of what Morgan kind of represents because there's no need for anyone to die. The fact that, like, I chose for my warden to die and that that's the instinct of of some of the other wardens with you is because that's... um, I mean, basically, it's just tradition, right? It's sort of like, no, this is this is how we always do it. We're not going to try something new because it might go wrong. And and hey, this is this is how we always do it. Yeah, and also just by accepting the great warden thing, you're already reducing your lifespan a crazy amount. So that's true. Might as well. Yeah. So I think like that's that's it's sort of a, a dynamic that that she constantly will challenge like, you know, like church dogma or various traditions. And I feel like this is sort of the ultimate culmination of that. She's like, you're going to literally kill yourself rather than have sex with me. You're an idiot. And just, <laughs> and then, and she'll leave. If she if you say no, she's like, okay, then fucking go die. You're a moron. And she bails. Yeah. Also, that's kind of like the ultimate insult saying, yeah, I'm w- willing to basically go die just so I never, do this with you <laughs> well and also i mean you know obvi- i was i was being a bit reductive obviously there's you know that she's a sorceress and she's fucking up to something so yeah but yeah um yeah there's this nice sense that she in addition to being sort of sort of seeing the best way around things for you sort of just being like for the most for most of the game just thinking in terms of practicality for you Towards the end, she also thinks in practicality for her, and of course, yeah, yeah. And so, um, that is not necessarily the end of the story. It doesn't have to be like she disappears after your victory, or she disappears before it if you reject her deal. But that doesn't have to be the end of it, even for obviously it's not the end of her story, but even for the warden, because uh, there is a standalone piece of DLC for Dragon Age Origins called Dragon Age Origins Awakening. Um, and it is possible to carry over your warden from that, uh, from the main game, if they survive. If you don't, it's a new character, and that's fine. But you can have the same warden who who fought the blight in in Denerim go on to uh, to the brain uh, to awakening. Who then, you know, there's a whole quest there that is not relevant. But then there's another piece of DLC on top of that called Witch Hunt. Um, and that piece of DLC is not super content-rich and meaningful, 
to be honest, but sort of the end of that is important. You're trying to basically track down uh, Morrigan two years later, and you catch her, and she's about to basically, she's about to step through a magical portal called an, an Alluvian, um, and she's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and fucking, like, basically change the world, and if you, if your warden uh, did the ritual with her, you can be like, I want to come. And she'll be like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and in, uh, in any other circumstance, she's like, bye, and just pieces out. Huh. Just saying, that gives me some things to think about how that might play out if that happened and you play Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, some stuff happens in Inquisition, um, which is beyond our purview here. But, yeah, it's just... I like that... I like... I feel like, ultimately, she's... Like, you know, she, sort of the game... And, and the the characters in the game, other than her, try and, start, try and make her out as being pretty, like, like ruthless and, like... And she, her, her use of, of magic without, you know, the sort of the checks and balances that the system has has set up um it's like oh she's dangerous and she's you know she's crazy and it's like no she's actually just kind of a no-nonsense lady who is not going to you know who's going to question every assumption and even if you even if you don't get into a romantic relationship with her um just the um she's always there to sort of play devil's advocate only she's actually she actually thinks the the devil is right she's not just holding that position for the sake of argument. Um, and it's, she's a really, a really good presence in that game. And, and I think probably like without her, that game feels a lot less lively than it does. Yeah. So she's basically a subversion or so what acceptance of the age old tropes we've had regarding witches. And that's mm-hmm. cool. And especially in a game that is so much about like, but you know the tradition right it's like oh you got to work with the church and you got to do you got to fight the dark spawn this way and you invoke these ancient treaties and then there you go <laughs> and she's like this is stupid um and she's kind of right yeah so. all right i think that's another episode of uh friend request in the bag if you like this you can find more of our work at scanlinemedia.com we have articles we have podcasts we have whatever you need unless you need something other than articles and podcasts if you go to patreon.com slash scanline media you could also chip in there and any money used gonna do another take on that you can also chip in there and any money you contribute will be used to help us get new games and new equipment so we can cover more things none of it is for profit I want to give a big thank you to Krista Lee for use of her song Hearts Burning Bright from her album Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. You can find it on Bandcamp at... Oh, no. I don't have that. Uh, okay. Wasn't it Or Poor Pup? Or Pup. Bandcamp.com. Really excited to have her approval to use the track. This is only the second time that I've been able to get a, uh, a real song for intro and outro for a podcast and uh, you know I thought I didn't think there was a chance that she would say yes but she was she was very gracious and we're super grateful indeed thanks so much everybody we will see you next time have a good night <laughs>